This is episode number 41, The Decision, with Adrian Collins. Welcome, my name is Oleg Lokhin, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to make a brief announcement and invite all of our listeners to an upcoming conference in San Diego on December 8th, a conference where you'll have a chance to connect with hundreds of people who are going through a similar journey that you are, a conference where you'll get a chance to hear from speakers from all over the country, including Michelle Madrid Branch, John Robinson, Mark Guay, myself, Stacy Johnson, and Tiffany Jacobs. For more information, please go to overcomingodds.today forward slash embrace who you are. Now, let's get back to our guest. She couldn't tell anyone. For five months, she sat alone in her college dorm room, getting sick, not wanting others to know. She said, when I was a junior in college, I found out that I was pregnant. I was at a strict religious school, and at the time, it was definitely frowned upon. I always dreamed of being a mom one day. I just knew it wasn't the time. I had no way of providing the kind of life I thought my baby deserved. I really wrestled with this decision and what to do, how to handle the situation, and while I was thinking through it, I had to hide my pregnancy. Without further ado, please welcome Adrian Collins. Adrian, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to start off this episode by having you share a little bit about your story for those who are not aware of your background. And the time that I would like to start this off with is your time during your college years. Hmm. Well, yes, I, I start my story in my college years. Those were very foundational to me in where I was and where my journey took me from there and who I am today. Mostly, um, I, I spent a lot of my college years trying to be, I guess the word is just perfect, perfect in my studies, perfect in the way I approached my faith, perfect in the way I had friends. It just was this all-consuming journey for me to seek perfection. And without really even realizing or understanding why, when I became a junior in college, I found out I was pregnant. And I was at a strict religious school, and that, at the time, this was just not something that we was, you know, it was definitely frowned upon. And I had always dreamed of being a mom one day. I, I just knew that wasn't the time. 
I had no way of providing the kind of life I felt my baby deserved. And I really wrestled with this decision of what to do, how to handle the situation. And while I was thinking through that, I had to hide my pregnancy probably for about five months, um, just sitting alone in my dorm, getting sick on my own. I mean, not having anyone to know. My boyfriend at the time was living uh, in another state. And so I just wrestled with this for, for my, by myself. In the end, when I realized that I couldn't give her everything she deserved, I went ahead and made an adoption plan mm. for her. And, you know, that... I will just say leaving the hospital without my newborn was probably the single most hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. The loneliness that envelops you, the doubts, the fears, the worries of not doing the right thing or not, you know, ruining someone's life or ruining your life is, is devastating. And especially in my heart when I always wanted to be a mom in the first place. But I knew at the time that I just felt that I loved her so much that I wanted more for her than I could give. And so I took a step of faith and went ahead and made that plan for her. Two weeks later, I found myself back at school, but I was a totally different person. I didn't relate to anybody at this point because I had gone through this experience and still processing the grief behind it and just hung my head, listened to the whispers and the gossip about me and just realized I wasn't going to fit in and I had to be okay with it. But it just took one step in front of the other and just knowing that I had to really wrap my head around the fact that I had done the best that I could at that time, even though no one else could understand or maybe thought it was the right thing. But I mm -hmm. knew that's what I had to do for me and for my daughter at the time. So, you know, I ended up fast forward. Um, I ended up two years later, marrying the birth father, who was also my high school sweetheart. And we had these th three beautiful boys, um, which were very different than what I expected. I always thought I'd just have a girl, you know, coming up, but I ended up having three boys. And then there was a part of me that just a nagging sense of, of what I had gone through. I wanted to reach out and help somebody else. And when I was going through that pregnancy all by myself in college and no one knew about it or no one even was there to hold my hand or have a shoulder to cry on, I really felt that I wanted to be that person for somebody else. And so I started volunteering at a pregnancy center here in Denver. And I just walked alongside these girls who were expectant moms and making adoption plans. And it was rough. I mean, it was really, I, it was hard. I couldn't take away their pain and I wasn't there to do that. I just wanted to hold their hand and say, I understand mm. what you're going through. And I'll answer your questions, but you know, I want you to know that I'm here. Uh, in one of those meetings, there was a family friend who was experiencing an unplanned pregnancy. And she turned to me in one of these meetings and asked me to adopt her son. And it was just the craziest thing. <laughs> I, it was so unexpected, but yet 
I just looked at her face and just, just the same thing that I had gone through, just wanting someone to come alongside and love your child because you know that you're not in a place to do it. And I just said, yes, right there. I didn't even ask my husband. I just said, yes, we're adopting. And I went home and obviously asked my husband and, and he was definitely in favor. And, but it was this journey that I never thought I would be on going from birth mom. And then all of a sudden being willing to adopt. And, and there were a lot of fears, even after I said, yes, all of a sudden I felt like, oh my gosh, what if I can't love her child the same as my children? What if I put up a wall between them? What if I disappoint her? What if I can't be the mom that I should be to this child? And I just wrestled with fear. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? What, what was it like? I want to take us back to a moment because there's so many Um, I think important questions to address with what you just said. The first one being, you had mentioned the fact how you, there was a point within your life where you were striving for perfection and then something changed. If you weren't striving for perfection after you had realized it, what were you striving for? Well, I was always striving for perfection. I mean, this takes me back to, you know, your formative years as a child or trying Mm -hmm. to fit in, trying to always wanting to be recognized for just an accomplishment or something you've done well or have achievement. I mean, it was something that for me was this internal drive to, I think, be loved. I mean, really, you know, truly loved for who I was, but I never felt that way. I never felt that I was just loved for who I was. It was always something that I had to to perform. And and I can't tell you if one person ingrained that in me or not. I don't know where really it came from. It was just watching, I think, other people when they were always in this inside circle and I wasn't there. I just couldn't figure out how to get there. And then I fi- couldn't figure out why I needed to be there. And so when I, what I did was in college, you know, I tried to just put myself on this pedestal. Well, if I, I'm going to help, I'm going to hold all these leadership positions in college. I'm going to be seen as this, you know, I, I, I'm going to be an editor. Um, I was an editor of a magazine. I was an editor at the newspaper. I was an RA. I, I mean, there was, <laughs> I just wanted to add everything to my resume, right? Mm-hmm. And it made me this sense of accomplishment. But when I became pregnant, it was just like this, I just fell off this pedestal that I had built up for myself and realizing that all of those things just didn't matter. Um, I just was felt alone and I needed someone to, I just wanted someone to rescue me. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting point that you bring up. I obviously don't have that experience the one you're sharing I'm coming from the other side of it and that is someone who was adopted and so one of the things that I remember very vividly was when I was on the footsteps of an orphanage in Russia in 2005 I was 12 years old and to the left of me was my new family my adoptive parents and to the right of me was what my birth family Mm -hmm. and The decision was made prior to that because we had an official court date as far as um, determining whether or not I wanted to be adopted. But I just just remember being in that moment and realizing, wow, on one side is a family that I've had for 12 years, and on the other side is a new family. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the position right now 
where I have to say goodbye to one and hello to the other. And I know that within, from that experience alone, there was a lot of fear. And I think the fear that came for me was due to the unknown and the uncertainty of whether or not the new life is going to pan out. So in your case, when you were making the decision to give up your child, and then when you were making the decision to, in a way, receive that child back, not that exact child, but a different one, how did you deal with that fear and what was it like to live in it for however long you had to? Well, and I will agree with you on that. Those unknowns are terrifying. They're very scary. I, I feel like what I've had to do is take, when I say take a step of faith, it's you do the best you can with what you know at the time and do everything you can in your power to make the most loving decision for the person in front of you. So when I made an adoption plan for my daughter, I, you know, interviewed the parents, they seemed great on paper. And I just honestly prayed that it would go, she would be safe and protected during that time. And then let me just fast forward to this, to this part of the story. But mm -hmm. what happened was, those parents disowned my daughter as an adult. We ended up readopting her back into our family about three years ago. So I've had this, and then I wrestle with, oh my gosh, did I make the wrong decision? Did everything turn out the way it was supposed to? No, it didn't. And, but I had to say, you know, we're going to embrace the story that we have now. We're going to choose to keep walking in love. We're going to provide for her now when we couldn't provide for her then. And, you know, she has a story to tell. I have a story to tell, but we use our stories to encourage others and bring hope to others. Mm -hmm. So even though you have these unknowns there, um, we have to keep walking and keep encouraging and keep choosing to love every single time and not just stay stuck in that fear because you just don't move. Mm-hmm. Where do you look for inspiration? What what inspires you to keep going and to continue sharing your story, even the parts of it that at times you did not feel comfortable sharing with other people? Well, for years, I didn't share a thing because, again, there was this notion of perfection that I didn't want anyone to know that, one, I was a birth mom mm -hmm. and had... I felt people would just look down on me if they knew I would just, I'd given up a child. Um, I didn't want to know, I didn't want anyone to know when I became an adoptive mom that I wasn't attaching right away, that all these memories of giving up a baby had just flooded over me. I mean, I just really felt trapped inside. And the, the strange moment, I guess it's my aha moment. That doesn't sound like an aha moment, but you know, for years, I didn't tell anybody, even my own children, my own boys, that they had a big sister. And there was this moment where my daughter calls, she called out of the blue, she was 12 years old. And I had literally probably just walked in my house with a newly adopted child, um, maybe four days prior. And she called out of the blue and wanted to visit us. And so I realized this is the time that I have to tell 
the boys that I was just shaking. I didn't know how to tell them. I was afraid they just point their finger at me. How could you mom? What were you thinking? We're disappointed. Get up and walk away. So I call the boys to the room. I mean, they're young and I call them to my room and my husband and I just show them a picture of their sister and this is their full sibling. Right. Mm -hmm. And I ended up telling them. And the funniest thing, I remember my oldest son, he said, so I'm not the oldest. And I was like, no, you're, you're not, you're the oldest boy, but you're not the oldest. And he's like, I have a sister. And I said, yeah. And he's like, wow, cool. Okay. Can I go play Wii? And I was like, what? I mean, it was just like this, he, it was just like this moment. It didn't sound profound, but the fact is he didn't flinch, didn't yell, didn't say, how could you? It was just this notion of simple acceptance that mm -hmm. he just said, okay, mom, great. And then they, they all went away and back to play Wii upstairs and, and just embraced it and embraced me like it wasn't this, I was, you know, like the ground wasn't going to open up and I was going to fall through it. And it dawned on me, like, if they can show acceptance, why can't I accept myself? Yeah. And what am I teaching my children if I want their life to look and feel perfect all the time? But then, and I can't work through my own fears, you know, they needed, and I mean, they're imperfect. They need an imperfect mom to lead them into a healthy adulthood. So I, I've kind of those are things that keep me going to know that I, I'm also passing on a legacy to somebody else mm -hmm. to work through these fears and to accept the things that they've done, um, whether they're heartbreaking or joyful, but to keep moving forward and using that to help somebody else. Very interesting. The qu question that I was um, eager to ask as you were sharing that was maybe not necessarily when do you tell a child something like that, but do you have any advice for people who are, let's say, in the position of they had a child with one person and then that father ended up leaving the household at whatever age, very early age. And then down the road, the, um, the mom ends up dating someone else, but yet the, the child, the only thing that um, he or she may know is that second boyfriend or whoever it may be, that's the father. When do you tell that child and how do you bring that up that that's actually not their dad? Or do, or do you let it, or do you let it get to a point where the child asks or potentially asks that question? Well, that's interesting because I'm dealing with that right now. Mm-hmm. And my philosophy on that goes with, I have an adopted son and we have an open adoption with his birth mom who just remarried last or not remarried. She wasn't married first, but she just married her um, husband and they just had a new baby girl. And so my son is like, okay, so is this, is this my dad? You know, is this my sister? And, and I, and of course he asks the questions because he's 10 and he's starting to wonder. Right. Mm -hmm. But from, so I just tell him the truth from the beginning. I just feel like and you do it in small steps. You know, I'm not just going to put a huge burden on him, but things that he can understand now. And a lot of the times I will say, no, that's not your dad. Well, who is my dad? And I said, you know, we, just because we don't know your dad doesn't mean, you know, you're not loved completely. You have, you know, your dad and I who love you, your birth mom who loves you and you are just covered in love. And we make sure that he knows that and he's aware of that. And we show him that. 
And when he had an, a sister, is this my sister? I said, yes, well, is she my full sister? And I said, no, she's your half sister. And trying to just walk him through that, but be honest with him. Mm-hmm. Um, even at a young age, I felt like from the very beginning that it was important to answer the difficult questions, um, age appropriately, of course, but just mm-hmm. answer the hard questions so that he had that layer of or level of trust with my husband and I and with his birth mom as well. Mm. Very interesting. I want to transition a little bit to the topic that you and I spoke prior to this episode, and that is you were mentioning how you were putting together your story in a book. The question that I have regarding that is, first of all, just a little bit about the process of what was it like to sit down and put that story together? Um, What were some of the things that you were afraid of telling the public about that story, assuming that it's going public. And and then the last part is looking back at it now, is there anything that you wish you had included knowing what you know right now? Hmm. Well, it's interesting because the story is still unfolding. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to actually put a put a V end at some point, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because the story continues. I mean, that's part of writing a memoir. You know, when I sat down, when, it took me, gosh, almost 20 years to write this story or to actually start writing the story. And I waited that long because I wanted the perspective to share it and to have the understanding of what has it, what have I learned from this? What has it taught me? What were, what was the purpose behind this or what was, what did I walk through? Um, I needed to be almost not emotionally unattached, but just have the perspective of what I had gone through. I had a professor in college and he was a pillar of grace. He was a one person that I talked to about the pregnancy and he stood up for me when nobody else did. And him and his family even invited me to stay with them when I returned to college, just to give me a place Mm -hmm. to have a place of refuge. And he was my journalism professor. And he turned to me one day and said, you have a story to tell, promise me you'll write it. And at the time I just looked at him like, okay, sure. No, (laughs) (laughs) but he saw me again, like 10 years later. And he's, and this is after I just adopted and he's like, you have a story to tell do the world a favor and write your story. And I just kind of said, okay, I will one day. But that just kind of held on to that, that whole idea of someone else believing in you so much to say, put this down for somebody else. And I feel like that mentorship meant so much to me, which is probably why I went into mentoring birth moms in the first place, but just to know how much of an impact that had on me. So when I wrote, when I started writing the story, I didn't even know where to start, but I chose to start with this idea of just holding on perfection, but slowly letting it go and slowly watching how these things had formed me and where I began to choose grace over guilt and shame and doubt and fear and walking in faith and choosing love and all these decisions that I had to make, even if they didn't turn out perfectly the way I thought they would. Uh-huh. But in how ultimately through all this, it grows, it grew me. I wouldn't be the mom I am today 
not to say I'm perfect, but the mom I am today without going through the things that I did or the wife I am or the friend I am or the, the sister or daughter. I mean, these are all character growing experiences. Would I choose them for anybody? Not necessarily. Hmm. Nobody wants to grow. No one sits around in class saying, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a birth mom. Nobody says that. I mean, it's, it's a devastating choice, but there is hope from it. And so I wanted to put that on paper to see, to kind of wrestle with where I was, but also bring hope to somebody else who had maybe gone through it or give them a different perspective about it. Mm -hmm. What was the process like? Was it something that you kind of commit to yourself on a daily basis for however long, half an hour to an hour, or did you do it once (laughs) a week or... Because you mentioned the fact that it took you nearly 20 years, and I'm I'm trying to understand it. Well, as I didn't write some... for 20 years. I didn't right. start. <laughs> right. <laughs> until... the, the concept, I guess, kind of began to flourish back then. But when you finally committed to it, for those that are trying to put together um, a book of their own, what worked for you when it came to that process? Well, where, where I start, I mean, it, you always start small, right? Uh-huh. Where I had to start was, I mean, the first sentence. But when I was ready to sit down to do it, I needed, I mean, I needed someone to read it with me. I started with my professor because I trusted him and he was a safe place. So I would kind of write a paragraph or write a chapter here and there and send it to him. But then I, once I got comfortable with that, I reached out to a small writing group and I was terrified of sharing this story because I had never shared it, mm-hmm. never. And the the interest these people didn't know me, so there was actually, there was actually some safety in that, knowing that they they were strangers. And I wanted to get their advice, and it was it was neutral, you know, it wasn't dated in any way. And they gave me so much confidence when I just started pouring in these pages and and turning them in and having them give me feedback and positive feedback and encouraging, but also real critique. And that helped me just start committing myself every single day to write for an hour and keep putting myself out there. Once I got comfortable with that, I ended up working with a writing coach. And that was probably one of the best things I'd ever done because she would look at my story and say, you know what, what is the meaning behind that? What are you actually feeling? Like, go back, go back, go back. And I had to wrestle with, what am I, what did I really experience? What was I really feeling there? Not what do I want people to think? Right. Because well, I, I still wanted people to think good of me. I mean, even writing it, it was funny. You know, I'm like, oh, I, I'm wrestling with attachment, but I didn't want anyone to know it. I still wanted to look perfect even in the book. So I had to go back and really flesh out those areas and make sure I was being real because it does nobody any good uh-huh. if you're not being your true self. So there's some of the book, I, I mean, I included a lot more than I wanted to. <laughs> um, there is nothing I don't think I wouldn't. The only thing I didn't include was I had to leave it at a cliffhanger. Mm. And and that was because I don't have enough perspective yet on where I am today. So I'm I'm watching things unfold, even with this readoption. And what does it mean to readopt your child as an adult and what do you do with with that relationship that you've missed 18 foundational years of her life what do you do with that and how do you bring her to a point of love and forgiveness and so that is stuff i'm still walking through 
uh-huh. and one day I'd love to put it on paper. But that is something that I chose to say, you know, I'm going to wait for that one. I'm going to wait and see how things how things go and take things slow. Uh huh. That's such a profound point because one of the things that I was fortunate have been fortunate enough to learn up to this age, and that is 25 years old, is that. I've learned that your trajectory in life is oftentimes determined by the quality of questions you ask yourself. So ultimately, you know, what, where is your curiosity? What are you curious about? What are the answers you're trying to seek? And what you just mentioned as far as leaving your book at a point where you've acknowledged, okay, this is what I know, this is what I can reflect on, and these are the things that I, I simply can't speak on. It's so va- It's so valuable because I think that just paints a, a much bigger, bigger picture for people <clears throat> in terms of sharing their opinions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're, especially in today's world, we're almost prone to share whatever, whatever is on our mind at any given time because we have that access. True. Facebook and Instagram and all these platforms, all you have to do is just, just start writing and then you hit publish and then boom. It's out there. But within that, I think what people, what we have to understand as people is that, yes, you have that capability, but you also have to take a step back and say, okay, is what I'm about to share going to impact someone in the process? Mm -hmm. Does it actually have value from my own experience? And the other thing that I wanted to touch on is, Oftentimes what I've seen, and you might have seen similar situations, where we catch ourselves trying to teach on subjects that we haven't lived through yet. Mm. So whether that's financial freedom or whatever it is, I've always learned that financial freedom, for example, if you're actually going to teach someone how to start from nothing and get to whatever amount you want, seven figures or whatever it may be, then you literally have to start with nothing. You have to Mm -hmm. put enough financial pressure on yourself where you're down to the last month of rent and whatever else it may be because that's where I think the authenticity actually comes out. And that's where you you can go back and say, yes, there is an opportunity within every challenge. So it's it's very important, I think, that people understand that lesson and what you mentioned, which is perfect as far as knowing when you had to stop because you haven't lived through that experience yet. Mm-hmm. Final thought for today's episode, and that is when the odds are completely against you, what are some core fundamental principles that you always refer to? Hmm. I love that question. And thank you for asking that. I think for me, the core principles, and like I've mentioned before, it's choosing love over fear. Don't let, I didn't want to, I refuse to become hostage to fear and let it hold me back from living my fullest life possible. And part of that choosing love is also choosing grace over guilt and shame. And that's grace for yourself. That's giving grace to others, um, especially when you say you haven't walked through their shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so important. I have learned, I, I, you know, when I was on my pedestal <laughs> years and years ago, I was really good at judging everybody that I 
thought I knew what they were going through. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I had no idea. And that is so important to just remember to offer grace for others when you don't have any idea the journey they've been on and not to assume you do know. And part of that is part of that is to, is to know that everybody has a story. Everyone has a story. And every story is meant for a purpose. And to remember that too, when you're stuck in this one place and you don't know what to do with it, remember that your story is still being woven. It's like a tapestry, right? It's still Mm -hmm. being woven one thread at a time. It's not done. So keep moving, keep moving forward, take one step forward and remember to use it for good, to impact somebody else in a positive, meaningful way. You know, don't stay stuck in that place of just disparaging other people for what they've done to you, but try to find what can you learn from this and what can you teach somebody else because of what you've gone through. It's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story and being such a wonderful guest on our podcast. It was truly an honor to have you and I'm, I was fortunate enough to be connected with you in the first place. Oh, thank you. It's great. I appreciate being here. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of our latest episodes along with featured stand up and speak up stories and ways you can be involved with overcoming odds. Once again, thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next week.